0: morning church. Good morning church. How about that worship? Whew, man, I was at the, uh, I was fortunate to, uh, to, to be at the Warrior game last week, uh, last Friday, and uh, you know, I'm, you know, you guys, some of you guys know I'm a Laker fan, but I was, uh, I was in attendance. I was an honorary Dubs fan for the night, and it just was reminding me of just, you know, 20,000 people, you know, as uh, they're cheering on Clay and Steph and Draymond Green, and for us that we're we're worshiping the living God, you know, and that uh, there's something that's greater than than what's on this earth. And so, just as a reminder, um, let's uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word. Lord God, we are just so grateful, Father, to just be in your presence. Lord God, we know where two or more are gathered, you are among us, Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, for your Word. Um, We we thank you, God, for your your people. God, we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, God, and that it empowers us to, to do what we can't do in ourselves. God, help me, Lord God, is that I would decrease so that you might increase. God, just use me. I'm just a little broken vessel, Lord. But God, that you would just, uh, just take this that I offer you, God, and that you would break it and bless it and put it forth, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn, me, turn with me to, uh, to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 verses one and two. I'm gonna be reading from the Amplified version of the Bible. Romans 12, one and two. It says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational logical, intelligent act of worship, and do not be conformed to this world or any any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove yourself what the will of God is, that is which is good and acceptable and perfect and is planned and purpose for you. We'll stop there. We are uh, kind of in baseball terms. We're rounding third and headed for home in this uh, this series that uh, that that we titled "Nobody Greater." Uh, Jason, uh, a few weeks back, he he kicked off the series in in uh, First Chronicles chapter 16, and he called us to to ascribe to the Lord, uh, and he said, "Ascribe to the Lord g- glory and strength." And this idea of ascribe is to to give is to give God our worship for who he is. And not only do we give God our worship for who he is, it's we, we, uh, we give, give his worship because he's holy yeah. and he's set apart. And just as he's uh, set apart and, and holy, he calls us as, as his followers to be, to be holy and set apart. Yeah. And then Keith kind of followed up and just, uh, you know, continued uh, to wreck, wreck me. I know you wrecked a lot of us. And here, and uh, as he picked up on idol worship, and uh, on, on this theme of just how that those are barriers to us worshiping the living God, and he talked about relationship idols, and he turned our attention to back in Genesis with uh, the love triangle of uh, Jacob, uh, Leah, and uh, Rachel, and uh, and and just how you know how Jacob, you know, just the name being deceiver, trickster, and how a lot of us know that you know what goes around comes around. You know, you, you remember when, when he was uh, him and his, his mama, Rebecca, uh, was, uh, you know, had deceived the dad, Isaac, from, uh, from the birthright, from Esau. And so uh, we see that, that theme of uh, you know, d- the dysfunction and that uh, all of us are called by God. We have a destiny on our life. We have a calling and an assignment by God. But we all deal with dysfunction in our life. And so uh, we see that, uh, that uh, even in, in that, that, that Jacob, God was, uh, he had a plan and a purpose even in the midst of his dysfunction. Um, and then we, we see that, because uh, all of us, all of us have some sort of dysfunction. Some of us might be, might be you know, you know it, it's an oxymoron, right, to, to, to be a lying Christian, you know, or a promiscuous Christian, or fornicating Christian, a cussing Christian. You know, all of us have stuff that we're dealing with in our life, right? And so um, even though God has saved us, he still is sanctifying us. He's making us more like his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, recently, we, we, we uh, uh, my, me and my wife, we just were having uh, some some construction done at our house and just some remodeling, just doing some bathroom and some odds and ends things. And, and it was just a reminder in terms of, you know, once we opened up the walls, we seen that the studs were, there, there was rot. Um, and so... Uh, we, ha- we had to tear everything out. And so sometimes we might see when we open things up in our life that uh, that requires a, just a complete demolition. And that God wants to, to, to tear everything up in our life to disrupt it for a purpose. And that's, and that's to, to sanctify us and to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And then, and then uh, Keith, in uh, part four, he talked about just guarding our hearts from, from the idol of status, success and power. And he looked at the, the, the case study of the rich young ruler um, in Matthew 19 and, and just the contrasting of of, Matthew, uh, of the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. And how, uh, you know, Z- Zacchaeus, who was a, you know, was a Jewish tax collector, you know, obviously was probably, disp- he was obviously despised by his, not only by his own people, but he was, he was, he was, he was taking, a, he was skimming off the top, you know, he's, he was basically the Roman IRS, you know, and so... Uh, and so he, uh, you know, he was taken off the top. And so he, he, you, you see how God changed his heart. Right. There was a heart transplant in his life. And you see the distinction of the young, rich, young ruler who, who the Bible says that he walked away dismayed when God told him to sell everything and give to the poor. And how God has call, called each one of us to, to let some certain things go so that he can usher in other things in our life. And so, and particularly in the Bay Area where it's a place of a lot of, uh, a lot of influence, a lot of money, a lot of wealth, education, but a lot of times those are the barriers to the gospel. And so some of us, we, God is trying to disrupt those things so he can usher in other things in our life. And then, and then uh, Keith reminded us in Jeremiah 9, 9 um, in terms of boasting. A lot of us, we can boast in you know, our successes where we live, you know, our 401 is what's left of the 401K, you know, uh, you know, but God is calling us to boast in Christ because all of it is from him. And he reminded us in Job, he said, you know, that everything is from him and it, nevertheless, he can give it. He can take it away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And then last week, he, he had talked about in part five is he, to guard our hearts from the idol of culture and religion. And he turned our attention to the old covenant of, of Jonah. You know, in Jonah, uh, when God called Jonah to, to preach to the Ninevites, and Jonah went the opposite direction, you know, and, and you can, you know, obviously, he just, just his experiences with them, they were a brutal people, the Ninevites. So you can imagine God telling him to preach to somebody that maybe, uh, you know, was, uh, was messing with his family, you know, but God had a purpose in that, and that he, he's wanted, he wanted to save them, and uh, just like he saved each one of us. And, and God has called this church historically. You know, back in 1989, when God called uh, this church and planted this church for a purpose, and it's to reach the Bay Area for Jesus Christ. And all of us have a, a role to play in that. Um, and we, we know that in John three sixteen that, you know, that he, he, he died for the world, all of the world. And so uh, as we turn to the, the, uh, our attention to the text uh, in Romans 12, uh, Paul is writing to Christians living in Rome, the capital of the vast Roman empire. The, uh, the people living there were first uh, century represented the, the empire of various cultures and religions, including many Jews. Uh, Paul wrote likely in AD 57 on his third missionary journey while in Corinth. And uh, he was on his way to, uh, to, de- to deliver uh, a contribution from Gentiles uh, to from Gentile churches to, to the poor Jewish Christians in, in Jerusalem. And really, the, the, the book is really centered on the righteousness of God and, you know, I know we got a lot of Bible scholars in here and we know uh, Romans, you know, Romans three twenty three, Romans six twenty three. We see the gospel laid out throughout the book of Romans. And uh, we see that, uh, you know, the entirety of the gospel in terms of justification, salvation passed, meaning that uh, God, each, if you're if you're saved, you're walking with Jesus, that he saved us. There was a point in your life that God came into your life. That was kind of the, you know, in terms of track. We got any track and field people in here, but it's kind of like getting out of the starting block. But that's just the beginning. And now now we're being sanctified. And that's that's salvation present. And then glorification is salvation future. And that God one day, you know, it's kind of like, a, you know, an astronaut, you know, one day that you have to be clothed to be able to sustain yourself in a different in a different atmosphere. And that's why they have to put on the astronaut suit to sustain themselves in a, in a, a different place. And for us, one day, Jesus, when we we take our last breath, he's going to when we take on our glorified bodies, he's going to close us with his righteousness. He's going to touch up every area of our life so that we're prepared for eternity. So in uh, in in chapters one through 11, Paul explains the mercies, mercies of God and uh, Paul turns his attention to answering this question. So what's our response that God has given his life for us? So what's what's our response to that? To give our lives back to him and since we are recipients of his mercy as we were seeing that we should be fully submitted to God and his purposes in our life and so the first first point I I want to highlight is that in verse one it says therefore I urge you brothers and sisters by the mercies of God as the Bible says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice so worship is sacrificial right there's a price to pay is Paul is saying is that, that, that just like he was, he was writing to, to people that would understand the old covenant system of animal sacrifice and that they would lay down, you know, lambs and bulls and goats to atone for sin. But he was, he was giving us a picture of us that we're called to, as God has done so much for us, through chapters 1 through 11, he was, he was pointing that after all God's, where he's been rich in mercy to us that we're called to, to give it back to him. Our lives is a living sacrifice to him. And that's, that's an act of worship, but worship is sacrificial, it's cost something. Is it just, it costs their, their sacrifice, it costs, costs us our life. Are you a chicken or a pig? You know, the chicken makes a contribution, but the pig gives everything. And we try to do that with God. You know, we try to give God just, you know, a little contribution here and there, maybe a little tithe with our time or with our treasure, or with our talent. But God calls us to, to give everything to him as he's given us everything for him. As, as Mary in, uh, in some of you guys know, in Matthew 26, uh, chapter 26, 6 through 13, If you guys want to go there. It says, now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon... The leper, a woman, Mary, Lazarus, sister, came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. And she poured it over his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant and said, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. That was probably a Ju- that was Judas. I think John 12 says it was Judas. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always will have the poor with you, but you will not have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in her memory. So you could see Jesus just was giving that picture is that, that she, Mary gave everything she had. She poured it over, over his head. And, uh, and some of us, that God is calling us to, to pour that anointing over Jesus. With your, our life, we're called to give it. So what are some things that we're, we're holding back that God is calling to disrupt in your life? And he's calling us to be true worshipers. And we see that, 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 uh, that Mary, if you're going to be a true worshiper, you're going to experience opposition. You're going to have haters. You have critics to do God's will. And we see that they were they were there were disciples that were walking with Jesus. So there were people that were close to the Messiah. So they were, they were with him. So you can be in the house of God, but be far from him. And so we have to keep perspective that it's not just about coming to church. You know, it's not about just reading your Bible. It's not about just being in a growth group to be a true worshiper. It's having a relationship with Jesus Christ and be immersed in his spirit to be immersed in his word. And where that is disrupting your life and what your your systems and your values for him and what he has for our life. And we see that God, he will always have your back. And we see Jesus coming to the defense of Mary, that she was doing the right thing. And that we, we can have that in our, in our life where we know that Jesus will always have our back if we're following him and doing what, what his will is for our life. And, and just like in this church, God is in control. We've been through seasons of this church, but one thing remains. It's not that this church isn't about a personality, it's about Jesus Christ. And he's on the throne. And he's got a plan and a purpose for our lives. And then we see it in Mark 12. We see uh, we see the widow when when all the uh, the scribes and, and those that were going to the uh, to the temple, t- temple treasury. And we see that in, in Mark 12, verses 41 through 44, it says Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting in their money. So you can imagine Jesus was watching what people were putting in. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in very small copper coins worth of only a few cents. Calling his disciples, Jesus says, I, I truly, I tell you, this poor woman has put more into the treasury than all of others. They all gave it out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had. So we see the contrast that people were giving their leftovers, but she gave everything she had. And that's a word for us, is that some of us, we're just, we're just making little contributions. To God and thinking we're doing something when it's a guy that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't even need what we give him. So it's a privilege to serve God and to do his will. So true worship is sacrificial. There's a cost to it. There's a price to pay that Jesus. He gave up everything for us. He gave up his life on, on the cross for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And then th- uh, secondly, worship is sanctifying. So not only is worship sacrificial, that it's a cost that we're called to give our lives as a living sacrifice, we're also called to, to, to worship worship is sancti- sanctifying. That when we're in the presence of the Holy God, as we see that in Isaiah 6, some of you guys remember the prophet Isaiah in verse, uh, chapter six, verse one. It says, "I saw the Lord highly exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So you can imagine that picture that Isaiah's picture painting, a bit above him were seraphim each with, with wings, with two wings, they covered their faces, two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying and they were calling one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook at the temple was filled with smoke. And these are the words of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah says, woe to me, I cried and I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has uh, touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from your sin, was atoned for. And that's a picture of the gospel, that Jesus has touched our life right. with the gospel with his precious blood and that he was, he was just like that angel touched the prophet Isaiah and cleansed him, is that when we're in the presence of the almighty king, there's something that takes place and that we're being sanctified, we're being set apart for special use. And I'm, I'm reminded of when I was a kid, you know, when my, my parents had, had, a, uh, had a china cabinet and they'd, always, they'd only bring out the china for, 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 some, for special use. So we knew it was something, some, some folks was coming over. That was worth it, so they would bring out their, their their fine China they called it, and it's just like that with us in in terms of us as followers of the gospel that we're called to be set apart in this world that so desperately needs him, so that we can we can have an impact for not only time but for eternity and are you being set apart yes. we're called we're called to be in the world but not of the world so we're, paul Paul was calling paul, calling the church at Rome. To not to adopt the values of this world that leaves God out, And we see that all around in our culture that leaves God out. But God is we we are we are saved and and we're we're bought with a price, and so we're called to live out that that assignment of Jesus Christ in our life. Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? Come on, come on now. Come on. A thermometer reflects the temperature, but a thermostat, on the other hand, regulates the temperature. So you could, we could set. Set the thermostat in our life, whether it be at your job, are you set apart? Whether it be in your family as we're getting ready to go into to the holidays and we know we got some crazy family that need Jesus. I know we do, you know, they, they need the Lord. And so are we are we a thermostat or a thermometer? Are we setting the temperature? Are we allowing the, the temperature to set us? And then thirdly, worship is a lifestyle. So not only is it worship is sacrificial, worship is sanctifying, worship is a lifestyle. And we see that in verse two. He says, but be transformed and progressively change. That's why I love the amplified version. Kind of just, it amplifies the text. It says, but be transformed and progressively change as you mature spiritually. So that there's some, we should be changing. We, should be, we shouldn't have anniversaries of the same sin every year. We should be graduating, should be promoting, by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove yourself what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you." Because the world's gonna try to squeeze us into their values. But Paul was saying that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And how do we do that? Is that we have to be in the book. We have to be in God's word. We have to be immersed in, in, in the Bible. And the Bible will transform us. It'll transform our mind and our thinking. We have to be in community. We need to be in fellowship. You know, as, as, the, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be in, in, whether it be in a growth group or the men's huddle we you know, have on Saturdays, women's ministry with Diane. There's a purpose for each one of us and there's a place in the family of God. That will transform us. It will help us grow because we all need accountability. It's just like a car, you know, the car out of alignment. You ever drove your car out of alignment? It will either stray to the left or to the right. You know, start your your wheels will start to squeak. Those are indicators. There's 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 a change that needs to occur. There's a problem. And then lastly, we should we should be bearing good fruit. Jesus says that we're called to bear fruit. And as Paul said earlier in the letter in Romans 8, he says that for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be to the conforming to the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Because the end goal is really to make us like his son. And that's why we're being sanctified every day. So that one day when we see him face to face, that he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. As we worship him, he transforms your life by changing you from the inside out. And God is at work. So whatever you find yourself in whatever season of your life, it's a lifestyle. It's not just this little fad, it's not seasonal. You know, it, it doesn't just come and go. Whether some of you are, might be dealing with health challenges, maybe you're, you're healthy, maybe you have a, a great job, maybe you've been laid off, but whatever season you find yourself, you, you, we realize that, uh, that worship isn't seasonal, it's a lifestyle. So as, as, I, as I wrap up, worship team, you can kind of make your way up. Just want to recap that worship is sacrificial. Worship is sancti- sanctifying as the prophet Isaiah is, is that, that uh, when we are in, in, the, in his presence, there's something that takes place, that we're, we're being changed as we're in the presence of the living God. As we immerse ourselves in the word of God, we're around the family of God. And if we're led by the Holy Spirit, There's a sanctifying that takes place. And then thirdly, worship is a lifestyle. It's not seasonal. It doesn't come and go. It's not like these fads, clothes and uh, shoes. But it's a lifestyle that God transforms us. And over 2000 years ago, Jesus laying his life down for us, sanctifying by the shedding of his blood. As we know that in Hebrews, it says there's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. So there might be somebody that's, that's uh, here, somebody listening online that's never given their life to, the, to Jesus Christ, that today you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So let's, uh, let's turn to worship.